Good morning, church. Today's reading is from Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself in the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? You guys ready for Daniel? That's a great intro, isn't it? We'll be doing that for the next 12 weeks, 12 chapters, and Daniel will be working a chapter at a time, week in and week out. And so you should be really familiar with this book by the time we're finished up with this series. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. Don't hesitate to take a look at that table of contents to find your way there. And uh, you'll be needing to read a lot of it. I would start reading through Daniel if I was you. And I've been reading a lot of it, and so we're not going to be able to cover every, every verse, but we'll try do our best, and uh, we're going to be working our way through each of these chapters. We've got about 100 ladies that are up on the women's retreat this weekend, pray for their safe return. They're having a great time. I heard that some of them aren't coming back. <laughs> My wife was one of them. What's up with that? I also noticed, too, that some of you were too excited about me being in the dunk tank. You guys happy about that? That's really hurtful. Okay. So, he said 500 pounds will get me in the tank. Actually, 5 million pounds will get me in the dunk tank. So, there you go. Anyway, Daniel's our current teaching series, Shining in a Dark World. We're going to talk about Be Different first chapter of Daniel talks about us being different. You cannot encounter the God of the galaxies and remain the same. You are no longer suited for a normal life. You will be different. Not in a weird way, but in a very wise way. You'll begin to see and respond to life from God's perspective and, and power. In fact, take a look at the... Um, key verse to this whole series is there on your notes. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 kind of shows you where we're headed in this series, the key verse to the whole series, and where we got the title, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So what does it look like to shine in a very dark and hostile world. That's the world we live in, by the way, if you haven't looked around lately. So how do we shine bright in this dark and hostile wor world? The book of Daniel is an incredible work of apocalyptic literature giving us a glimpse of God's plan to restore His people, remain faithful to them while they are living in Babylonian exile. Now, the book can be divided up into two sections. The first six chapters are all about the events of Daniel's life in Babylon. There's a lot of famous stories there, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and other stories that are really popular. And it really answers the question for us, how, 
How can we shine in a dark world? How do we do that? How do we pull this off? What are the characteristics necessary for that? And you'll see the first six chapters will give you the characteristics of what that looks like in our life so that we can shine very dark world. The second part of the book, chapters 7 through 12, are Daniel's prophecy about the restoration of Israel, the coming of the Messiah, and the end of the world. Very profound book. It lays out, really, we, we can already look in the, in the past and see how it laid out history very accurately, and it takes us into the future, and it's just a phenomenal book, and it answers the question here for us, why we can or why can we shine in a dark world? The second part of the book, last six chapters, chapter 7 through 12, why can we shine in a dark world? And in case you forgot, God always wins, Okay. That's what the book's all about. That's what the Bible's all about. And there's only two teams. If you're not on his team, you're on the wrong team. You're on the losing team. And so that's what the book is telling us. The reason why we can shine in a dark world is because we're on the winning team. We're on God's team. And he's going to make that very clear in chapter 7 through 12. Now, as I was working through this first chapter, what came to mind for me was that I, I really believe that this, uh, the, the life of Daniel in general, but in particular, this first chapter is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament principle that's found in Romans 12.2. Our anomaly group, our high school, junior high group, uh, this is their theme verse. Maybe you've seen some of the t-shirts around anomaly. We are to be an anomaly. We are to be different from the world. How can we be different in this world? How can we shine bright in this dark and hostile world. Right here, I believe that we can divide this chapter up into three sections according to this verse. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, mind, it's more than mind. Anytime the Bible talks about mind, it's actually talking about our heart, every part of our inner being. So don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, His will is good, pleasing and perfect, or good, acceptable, and perfect. So you, you can see on your outline three sections there. We'll first of all deal with do not be conformed to the world, and then we'll talk about, we'll talk about what that means, and then we'll talk about what does it mean to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Daniel nails it right here. He makes a commitment not to defile himself. We're going to talk about that, and then we'll wrap it up by talking about the difference that that should make in our life as we follow God's will for our life. We'll know God's will for our life and live that out as we shine bright in a dark and hostile world. But let's, first of all, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's invite the work of the Holy Spirit here this morning in our life as we study God's Word. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. We love how you engage us and how we're able to encounter you and enjoy you as we study your word, transform our lives. God, it's our desire to be wise so that we can shine like the brightness of the sky above and turn many to righteousness. Lord, help us to learn what it means to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our, of our minds, our hearts, our lives, so that we can test and discern your good and pleasing and perfect will for our lives, all for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this. First of all, do not be conformed to this world. You're going to see next to world or next to Babylon, I put the word world because that's what he's talking about here. And so took a, uh, look at verses 1 and 2. And in the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, took it over. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. This is pretty significant here. These are the very sacred vessels in the temple of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. Shinar is where they built the Tower of Babel. You can find out about that in uh, Genesis chapter 11. Remember the Tower of Babel, humanism, we can do this without God, we don't need God in our life. That's a very significant place here. And so he brought to the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Our God is bigger than your God, which is not true, but that's really what he's saying in doing what he's doing, taking the vessels of the most holy place of the true and living God and putting them in his, his uh, treasury of his God. 
Now, let's talk about this. What does that mean, do not be conformed to the world or Babylon? Here's your first uh, fill in the blank on your notes. Babylon, the world, is a demonic counterfeit kingdom to the kingdom of God. That's what you need to know. There's a counterfeit for everything God creates. So you got the spirit of Babylon that's present and active on this planet Earth, and then you've also got the Spirit of God. There's only two teams. You're, you're by default on the team, the Spirit of Babylon. By default, you're born into that. You have to be born again to come in to God's, on God's team, the Spirit of God. Now, the book of Revelation calls Babylon the mother of prostitutes, Revelation 17.5. So, God creates a people. He calls His bride Satan counterfeits with people who are prostitutes. It's the language of adultery, infidelity, or promiscuity. So, this Jehoiakim, king of Judah, was a, an evil king. He, was, he disobeyed God. He disrespected God. He burned the Word of God. That's pretty significant for us to really understand what went down here in Judah with the nation of Israel, God's people. If God's Word is absent, then the spirit of Babylon will fill the void. So if you neglect God's Word and you're not filling your life up with God's Word and being led by God's Word and obeying God's Word, then naturally your life is going to be filled up with the spirit of Babylon. That's what happened to the nation of Israel. That's why they got taken out taken off into exile. Here's another thought that we need to keep in mind. Every, every family, every church, every organization, every city, state, nation rises or falls on its leadership. This nation fell because of the leadership. It fell because of the leadership. That's why we tell you, vote your Christian values. Vote for people who have Christian values. Get involved in the process. Be promoted to positions of authority and power within our government, within the school system, so that you can bring transformation. By the way, that's what happens to Daniel. He's promoted and he has influence, just as we saw in the story with, with Joseph. They're promoted to positions of authority and rule, and that's what God, and we'll talk more about that as we work through that. But every family, church, organization, city, state, or nation rises or falls on its leadership. The spirit of Babylon seeks to take over every sphere. We're seeing that happen right now in our country. It seeks to take over every sphere. Government, that's happening, spirit of Babylon, politics, education, morality, marriages. There's such a skewed view of marriages in our culture today. That's the spirit of Babylon. Families, sexuality, people are confused about their sexuality, about gender. That's the spirit of Babylon. And we could add to that list, the spirit of Babylon is trying to bring a counterfeit kingdom that is antithetical and against the kingdom of God. That's what we're up against. Now, here's the next point on your notes. The spirit of Babylon, or the spirit of this world, wants to take over, control, own, or rule your life. So, we looked at it kind of in a big general way, but now let's talk now our individual lives. Spirit of Babylon wants to take over your life. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now, this is Daniel and his three friends. They're in their mid-teens. They're part of royalty in Judah. This was typical to their, their strategy to take over a country. They're going to they're grab a hold of the up-and-coming leaders and their leaders, and they're going to try to assimilate them into the, and indoctrinate them into the, the Babylonian culture. And they're, about, they're in their mid-teens, which is pretty profound for these guys and how rock-solid they stand up and shine a bright light in that dark world. And in fact, this story is going to take uh, 
Daniel's life all the way until he's about 80. We'll see towards the end of the book that he's, he's heading towards 80. So we really get a chance to look at the life of Daniel. But he's about 15 years old here. And, and, and this is the, what we can learn from this, is that exile awaits those who continue to disobey God and fail to heed his warning. This is what's happening. Everything you have has been given to you by God for you to manage it according to his word. Now, what's fascinating about what Judah did under this evil king is in Leviticus 25, it stated that every seven years the land gets a rest. And, and, and we all know what that means. It replenishes the nutritional value back into the land. They disobeyed this for 490 years. Not just that law, but they were disobeying all of the laws. This is just an example of how they were disobedient and disrespected God. And they did that for 490 years. <laughs> what does that speak of? God's incredibly patient. God is patient with them for 490 years. They continue to disobey God. He sends prophets in to warn them. They do not heed the warning. They keep pushing God back 490 years. Don't ever confuse God's patience with his permission. He wasn't giving them permission. He was very patient. God is not slow in keeping his promise as some would define slowness. No, no, he is patient with us. He's not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. You know, sometimes people look at the Old Testament and think God's a, this horrible, hateful, vengeful. No, he's incredibly patient and kind and gracious and loving. 490 years. And so don't confuse his patience with his permission. He disciplines those he loves in order to turn their heart back to him. And so guess how long they will be in Babylon? Do the math. 70 years. 70 years. It's pretty interesting when you start looking at the numbers through this book. Fascinating. 70 years. This was prophesied by, by Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in 39, chapter 39, verses 6 through 7. Now, here's what we need to learn from this. God cannot be mocked. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. Do not grow weary in well-doing, because in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit. Persevere. And that's, that's important. No one gets away with anything. There are consequences to disobeying God. What awaits those who continue to disobey God should terrify them. And here's the sad thing about it, that innocent people also suffer. So as we go down, we take our kids and future generations with us. Daniel and his three buddies here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are their Babylonian names, is that I, I think they were innocent in this. And they're exiled because of the leadership of that, that country and because of those people. And yet what's amazing about Daniel and his three buddies, man, they shine bright in that very dark in a uh, hostile world. Pretty amazing. So here's, the, here's the next one. So the spirit of Babylon seeks to assimilate God's people socially, culturally, educationally, spiritually, so that over time they lose their distinctives. See, this was part of their strategy. We'll take the leaders, we'll assimilate them into the culture, and then they'll influence the people. And, and so... This is happening even today. The distinctives I'm talking about here is that they will lose their biblical worldview. Now, biblical worldview, everybody operates their life under a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview basically answers four questions. Why are we here? What's the problem? What's the solution? And then where are we going into the future? Everybody does that. You either do it purposely or you do it by default, just by how you're living out your life. If you sit down long enough with someone, you can ask them, so why, what's the purpose of life? They'll give you their biblical worldview. So what's the problem? What's the solution to the problem? And where's, where's our future? How can we change this so that we can have a brighter future? 
So as believers, we have a biblical worldview that should impact every dimension of our lives. Our biblical worldview is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Those are the four key words to it. We're created in the image of God to have a relationship with God, and, but we rebelled against that, so we got the fall. That's what went wrong. We rebelled against a holy, righteous God. Therefore, we have uh, all this sin and suffering on this planet. It's, it's symptomatic of our rebellion and subsequent alienation from God. But God, in His love, sent His Son on a mission to redeem us. His first coming, He came to bear our judgment so that we could be reconciled to Him. His second coming, He will bring judgment. The Bible makes that very clear. So everything about our lives should be through that interpretive grid of life and have an impact on our life. And so what they're trying to do is the spirit of Babylon seeks to assimilate God's people socially, culturally, educationally, spiritually, so that over time they lose their distinctives. And so you can see that in verses 5 through 7, there's three ways that they do it here. The king assigned them the daily portion of food that the king ate, so he's going to wine and dine them. The second thing, they're going to be educated at the University of Babylon, liberal arts degree, and, uh, and then they're going to change their names, which would, in essence, try to change their identity. So those are the three things. Now, here's your next, uh, next three fill-in-the-blanks. We're not called to assimilation or separation. We're called to, to transformation. We're called to transformation. So the false prophets were calling people to separate. The Babylonians were trying to get them to assimilate. The true prophets were saying, no, you need to transform the culture. Now, when we look at the life of Christ, what a phenomenal life that he lived. He was radically different from the culture, and yet at the same time was able to radically identify with the culture. That's what he's called us to do. So Jesus was radically different. He had this faith. He had a connection with the Father. He loved the Father with all of his heart. There was a holiness and a wholeness about him. He spoke uncompromising truth. And at the same time, he was radically, he was able to radically identify with the culture. He was loving and compassionate and merciful, a friend of sinners. And God has called us to do the same thing. Let me define for you what assimilation looks like. Assimilation is where you are able to radically identify with the culture, but you're not radically different from the culture. You're just like the culture. So you may have an audience, but, but since you're not different, you don't have a message. You don't have anything to give them. That would be, that would be the liberal church, the progressive Christian church that is, is growing in America today. And they, they claim to, to be believers, but act like Babylonians. So, so yeah, you, you may be able to identify, but you're not different, and so you have no message. You have an audience, but no message. The separation that the, the false uh, prophets were, were proclaiming, and in fact, they even said, oh, you'll only be in uh, exile for a couple years, separate from them. And these people are filthy and dirty and stay away from them. And, and so, uh, very religious. They were radically different. They might have had a message. They didn't have a very good message. But they didn't radically identify. They had no audience. Those, those would be very religious people. Very self-righteous, holier than thou, very judgmental. By the way, liberal people can be very self-righteous too. Very holier than thou because of their perspective you're not open-minded like we are. We're all accepting. We're all loving. And, and so, assimilation, separation, we're not to do either one of those, but ours should be transformation, radically different. We have a message, plus radically identify. We have an audience. Christians are to be radically different. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and at the same time, radically identify, love our neighbor as ourselves. The great commandment, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. And so, the false prophets were proclaiming another message. There's false prophets in our culture today. You need to be able to distinguish their message from what God's Word speaks. 
There's a lot of bad news, fake news, uh, a lot of stuff that's going on in our culture, so you need to know the difference between the two. And so here's what the prophet Jeremiah was saying. He was saying, no, you're not to... You're not to separate or assimilate, but you are to transform. And I want you to, you need to go in and build homes among the people and multiply there and do not decrease. This is found in Jeremiah 29, chapter 29, verses 6 through 7. He says, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. By the way, um, does Jeremiah 29 ring a bell? <laughs> what verse stands out? Maybe you memorized. Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. Have you ever felt like you were in exile? Maybe you work in, a, in an environment that's, as, as we described it at the beginning, it's very Babylonian, very dark and hostile. You feel a little bit like in exile. Maybe you're in a family that's very dark, dark and hostile. And you're starting to think, man, God, did you abandon me? I'm sure that Daniel and the three Hebrew guys along with him were feeling that way. And, and Jeremiah says very clearly, don't separate, don't assimilate, transform that. By the way, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. They're in exile. Worst possible scenario. And God's saying, I'm still working. In fact, I'm going to use you powerfully right in the midst of that dark world. I want you to shine bright for my glory. And I will be there for you. I will strengthen you. I will give you all the power you'll ever need. In fact, it says two, der- two verses from there, so you got verse 11, I know the plans I have for you. Verse 13, it actually says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So that's what he's called us to do. Now, Jesus prayed this in John 17, 15 through 19. He basically said that uh, don't take them out of the world. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. He's talking to the Father here, and he's talking about us. He sent us into the world. And, and, and in that, he says that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So we're to be in the world, but not of the world. That's what the book of, Babel, uh, the book of Daniel and uh, being in Babylon is all about. So how do, how do we do that? Here it is. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I'll spend a, probably most of my time on this first point, and then the next point I'll just give you the fill in the blank. You're going to have to study it on your own. I'm just going to forewarn you here, okay? And so because this first one is really, really important, here's the first thing you need to do. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What, how do we do that? Make a commitment not to be defiled by the world, Babylon, by living according to God's word. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved. This is this was one of these verses you underline in your Bible and probably meditate on and think about. I've been thinking and meditating on this for a while. But Daniel resolved, firmly determined in his heart, is really what that means, that he would not defile, pollute, desecrate, profane himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. So as I was thinking about this, you and I must make a commitment not to sin before we are tempted to sin, otherwise we will sin. We will defile ourselves. We will defile, we'll be defiled by the world. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with each temptation give you a way of escape so that you might endure under it. In other words, God will be with you, but you've got to understand, know what it means to defile yourself and and know what's happening. Uh, Character is developed and shaped not by the big events, but daily choices you make. So what does it mean to not defile yourself? What does he mean by that? He resolved, firmly determined in his heart not to defile himself. How do you know you're being defiled? I think just living here, 
On this planet, there's a certain amount of defilement, but there's, there's things that we can control, there's things that we can't control. So we need to, we need to talk about those things that we, we can control. Matthew 15, 10 through 20, remember when, uh, when the Pharisees were dogging the disciples, getting down on the disciples to Jesus about how they weren't doing their hand washing before they were eating? And Jesus in there teaches something pretty interesting, and I would encourage you, as you walk through the notes this next week, study this in more detail. It's fascinating. Because Jesus says, hey, hey, wait a minute. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles you. It's not what comes from the outside inside you, like, like eating. It's what comes from what? What comes from our heart that defiles us. What comes from our heart that ultimately defiles us? In fact, the ceremonial hand-washing was an outward sign of an inward work. They were just doing the outward sign without the inward work. They were just going through the motions. It was all form, no substance. They were religious. That's why in Matthew 15, 8 through 9, in that context, Jesus says, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Kind of they missed the whole point of, of this ceremony, a ceremonial hand washing. Proverbs 4.23, you maybe have heard me quote this quite often because I think it's a significant verse. In Proverbs it says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And when you think about that, above all else, like that's number one priority? Yes. Like the highest thing, the most important thing you can do, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. This is what Daniel is teaching us here. So we've got to define the word heart because the word heart is used close to 900 times in the Bible. So what does that mean? Above all else, guard your heart. Your heart is the control center of your entire life. You know, oftentimes we look at our behavior, we look at our actions, we try to change those. You can't change those unless you change your heart. That's just a product of your heart. So your heart is the control center of your entire life. It is the fountain of your core commitments, your deepest loves, and your foundational hopes. Now, this is what I found in my life, is that I can say that Christ is my core commitment, my deepest love, and my foundational hope, but suffering reveals oftentimes otherwise. Does that make sense? So it actually shows me where my core commitments, deepest loves, and foundational hopes really lie. So suffering reveals that, but not just the bad days, but also the good days will reveal uh, my core commitments, deepest loves, and foundational hopes. It tells us in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Oftentimes when we think of heart, we think of our mind, emotion, and will. Yeah, that's all part of it, but that's a product of what your treasure is. So let me ask you this, what dominates your thoughts? What stirs your deepest emotions? What moves you to action? Now you're beginning to get at that level of where your treasure is. What is your treasure? What's most important to you? What are your core commitments, deepest loves, foundational hopes? And here's where the battle is. Here's what, where, the, where the biggest battle is in our life. And uh, I think it, it's explained to us by Paul in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He says to the church in Corinth, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that somehow your hearts may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So anything that would lead our hearts away from our sincere and pure devotion to Christ would mean that we're being defiled. So what is that sincere and pure devotion to Christ? What does that mean? Sincere means authentic. You're not doing what the Pharisees were doing, just kind of going through the motions. Man, you have a relationship with God. There's this mutual giving and receiving of love. You're not just saying your prayers. You're talking to God. You're hearing His voice. You're, you're wanting Him more than anything. And in fact, that's what the word pure means. So not only are you engaging God, you're not just kind of robotically going through the motions when you read your Bible and pray. Man, you want to connect with Him. But you want Him more than anything. That's pure heart. And you understand those things that are fighting for your heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from him. You're in touch with that. In fact, in fact, I, I believe that's what Daniel uh, is doing here. And, and in fact, here's what's interesting about this. As I kind of thought through this, excuse me just for a moment here because I spent a lot of time just on this one point. 
And, and, and here's an interesting question. Why was Daniel and his three friends willing to have their names changed and receive a three-year liberal arts degree from the University of Babylon and yet draw the line to eating the royal food and wine? Because it seems to me, it seems that the king's food and wine would be the least of the three threats to their spiritual lives. And I know immediately all of you, many of you have studied this before, and you're going to go, oh, well, because that food was offered to, with, to idols, and they didn't want to, they felt contaminated. Well, didn't Jesus say it's not what comes into the body that defiles you? It's really what comes out of the heart. Kind of disputes that. Not only that, the wine wouldn't be part of that. It wasn't offered to idols. So there's, a, there's other arguments there, and I, I, I've read a lot of different commentaries on this. I think it's something much deeper, and I think oftentimes we miss it. You see, people can change your name without it changing who you are unless you embrace it. It never changed who these guys were. Their identity was rock solid in, in God, in the one and true living God. You can be educated in the values and priorities of the Babylonians without adopting them. I've studied all sorts of world religions and never converted to any of those religions. Here's what one uh, American pastor and theologian said. He, Daniel, knew there was nothing intrinsically sinful about tasting the king's food, but he realized it would tempt him to get sucked into the idolatrous love of money, status, beauty, material luxury, and power, the essence of the worldview of pagan elites. He didn't want to lose his heart to that view of life. You can easily worship Yahweh formally, that is externally, while living for upper crust idols internally. That's the end of quote. So Daniel feared the subtle flattery of the gifts and favors which entailed hidden implications of his loyal support of the king and the kingdom of, of Babylon. So here's where we take it. You need to know your own heart well enough to know what are those things that are competing for your heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from Christ. And these might not be wicked, evil things. They might be good things that you've elevated to ultimate things in your life. It could be a marriage. It can be having kids. It can be your job. It could be money in the bank. It can be having a car or a nice home. It can be any number of these things. But there, are, there is something in your life that is competing for your heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from Christ. If you're not in touch with that, you're out of touch with who you are and what's going on and where the battle really lies. Even as Paul said to the church in Corinth, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the servant's cunning, that your hearts may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's the essence of the Christian life. Sincere, authentic, real. By the way, we're going to talk about that next week. What does that look like? A real relationship. Be real and pure. I want him more than I want anything else. There's something in your life that's battling for your heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from Christ. Daniel knew that being wined and dined by the king would pull his heart away from, from complete commitment to the Lord toward other idolatrous commitments. And we have to know our own hearts and the true idols of our culture that are trying to draw hearts away from God. Now, if I were to describe the American culture, this is what we're swimming in. See if this is not an accurate um, characterization of American culture. The American culture we live in is God-ignoring, man-exalting, sin-condoning, sin-distorting, marriage-destroying, maleness-mocking, femaleness-trivializing, righteousness-ridiculing, and arrogance-admiring. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. That's our culture. We're swimming in that. And so there's, there's part of that we can't control. It's just the world we live in. But there's other aspects of it that we can control. I'm going to address that just for a minute. And if you find yourself enjoying being entertained by sin, it says something about your soul. I mean, we are inundated with all sorts of entertainment in our culture today. 
I don't know how you can keep from being defiled and shaped by a regular diet of media, and that's an all-inclusive movies, TV, music, Instagram, and, and there's a lot of good out there, but there's a whole lot of bad out there. You need to know the difference and know when you are being defiled. But I don't know how you can keep from being defiled and shaped by a regular diet of media that not only accepts but celebrates sin. It, it accepts and celebrates sin as preferable to righteousness. It makes me sick to my stomach. My wife and I watch very little on the TV. Very few movies, TV shows. We, we just don't spend that much time doing that. I, I feel like we're better for it. You can't even watch hardly football. By the way, football weekend, yeah. Ooh, but that's enough of that. Uh, you can't even watch football without being defiled by commercials nowadays. We're defiled by commercials. It's just, and so I'm talking about the stuff that we can control. I, uh, my daughter-in-law, Kim, went on the women's retreat. Russ was working, so I picked up their three kids from school on Friday. And they were in the truck. They said, Grandpa, can we have donuts? I said, absolutely, we can have donuts. And so I, I took them to have, get donuts, and we had donuts for dinner. <laughs> donuts for dinner. So we're sitting there eating donuts for dinner. And I said, hey, you can eat donuts for breakfast. Why can't we have donuts for dinner? They all applauded that, like, yeah, Grandpa, you're the best Grandpa in the world. Your parents might not think that, but uh, yeah. Now, there's nothing wrong with having donuts for dinner, but if you had donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week, there's something wrong with that, okay? Would you agree with that? That's a bad diet. Here, all I'm saying is that what is your spiritual diet? What are you taking in? It could be defiling you. And it might, it's not the big events. It's the daily decisions that we make, that we expose ourselves to. We're not guarding our heart, our sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And therefore, our hearts can be so easily defiled and led astray. I'm just saying, be aware. The enemy's out. He's coming after you. He wants to take you down. He wants to lead you astray. He wants you to be exiled and be under his influence. My son, Russ, last weekend talked about KPIs, key performance indicators. Here's what I look for in my life. And keep in mind, you know, there are seasons in our life. There's, uh, there's the winter season, and there's the summer, and there's fall, and there's the spring. And so there's ebbs and flows in our spiritual life. But overall, this is what I'm looking for in my life. And this is what I want to feed through all of my media intake and everything that goes on in my life. If you're not growing in holiness and purity in mind, manners, and mouth, if you're not growing in your love for God and spending time in His Word, if you're not growing and deepening your prayer life and enjoying His presence, if you're not growing in, in loving service to and through your church family, if you're not growing in feeling an urgency for the lost that are around you, that they need to hear the gospel message, if you're not growing and becoming strong and courageous to stand against the destructive tides of our culture, if you're not growing in wanting to see and to savor and to show the glory of God, maybe there's something defiling your life in our sin-soaked culture, and maybe your spiritual diet isn't healthy. By the way, I just described the 5G process of full devotion to Christ. That's what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. I don't know if you know this, but 80% of our Christian kids lose their faith in college. And I understand that as a parent, I'm only responsible for the process. God's responsible for the product. We can do the best we can. Kids can still make choices. But there's a problem here we need to address and we need to look at. Now, I've had 176 million Americans claim to be Christian, and only 9% of them have a biblical worldview. There's something terribly wrong in America today, in American churches, among American Christians. Hosea 6.4, this is what 
Hosea said, the prophet, he said, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. That's not information. That's intimacy with God. We perish because of a lack of intimacy with God. Sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Hosea 6.6, he says, I desire your steadfast love, not your sacrifice. The knowledge of God, intimacy with me, not your burnt offerings. So if we're going to stand strong and be a change agent in this culture, you need to know what you believe and why you believe what you believe. Not just what you believe, but why you believe. You've got to have a foundation under that. I, I hear people all the time, they can spout what they believe, but they don't have a good solid foundation of that. You see, if you have the what, but you don't have the why, you're going to defect. By the way, this is why I teach the DB Life, is to help build a solid rock foundation for your life, and also why we do the DB Leadership class, formerly known as SLAM class. So if you haven't gone through either one of those, I would encourage you to go through those classes. We, we build into your life to help you to have that biblical worldview. We've got other classes we offer too. But if you have the what minus the why, you're going to defect from the faith. You're going to become disillusioned by the pain of suffering. You're going to be deceived by the inferior pleasures of sin. You're going to disbelieve because of the intimidation of a proud, smart skeptic, not based on his defensible arguments, but his dogmatic assertions. Because you may, may know what you believe, but you don't know why you believe. You need to have a rock-solid foundation. And so, you must be convinced that the gospel is intellectually sound, it's historical, it's evidential, it's factual, but you also need to be convinced that it's experientially satisfying. You must believe that the gospel is head sound and heart satisfying, and nothing can move you from that. And you live all of your life out of that. That becomes the interpretive grid of your life. So that's what Daniel's about, that's where we're going. Now, let me give you the next fill in the blanks as we work through this. And so, how to be transformed, first of all, we need to make a decision, make a commitment not to be defiled by the world by living according to God's Word, but also remember you have God's favor and compassion. That's your next fill in the blank. Verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the next point, which is fascinating, did you notice, if you've read the text, we didn't read the complete text here, but, but he appeals to the chief eunuch. He says, hey, we don't want to eat the food. And the chief eunuch says, hey, this king's going to take my head off if you don't eat the food and you come out and you're weak and you're not strong. So, so Daniel is very polite but persistent. He speaks love and truth, and he says, well, test your servants for 10 days. Put us, let us have our own diet, and then test us for 10 days. And you, you observe for yourself. So he appeals with this being polite and persistent, love and truth. Here's the next point, too, and, and you can see this. You'll see this throughout the book. If you're going to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your identity must come from God and not from this world. And so they changed the names, but these guys, these guys never embrace their Babylonian names because they know who they are. It doesn't matter what anyone else has to say about you or, or, or them or us. You get your identity from the only one in the universe that matters. And it's fascinating. I, I gave you their, their names. And if you, if you just meditate on their names, this is what's true about us. God is my judge. I live for an audience of one. That's Daniel. Hananiah, God is gracious. I have his unmerited favor. You have the favor of God. Mishael, there is none like God. He has no imperfections or rivals. He's the, our God's bigger than your God. And then Azariah, God has helped me. With his help, I can face anything. Here's the next point on your notes. Let your actions speak louder than your words. So they tested them for 10 days, and it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, is literally what the word says, verse, verse 14 and verse 15. And the steward took away their food and the wine, and they were able to eat what they wanted to eat. Pretty amazing story. And here's the next, the last one in this section. You will never be able to pull this off apart from a solid community of godly friends. Daniel had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they hung in there together. In fact, what you're going to see next week, next chapter, is that Daniel's going to be promoted to a high position. Guess who he brings with him? 
those three friends. They're kind of pro- promoted with him. He promotes them into, into high positions. And so there's a community of, of godly friends there. So be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to live God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's your last fill in the blank. Living according to the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God for the glory of God, is a remarkable way to live your life. And so when you look at verses 17 through 21, I encourage you to read those. They're presented to the king. The king begins to question them, and he is blown away and says, these guys are 10 times better than all the others. They are living a remarkable life. That's the kind of life that God has called us to live. We are to live a different kind of life. Let me end by saying this. As we read through this book of Daniel, this is what I want you to keep in mind. Daniel is a dim glimpse of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true and greater Daniel. Give me an extra 30 seconds here. Let me read through this. Both went from the glory of royalty to the humility of poverty. Both went from their home and entered a world that was dark and hostile to them. Both never married a woman or or fathered a child. Both were called on a mission and traveled with a few faithful friends. Both had great wisdom for making decisions under extreme threat. Both were given incredible authority to rule over the kingdom of Babylon, that is this world. Both had an incredible prayer life on their journey to their eternal home. Both had exemplary character and stood against evil and suffered for it. Both were falsely accused even though the political leaders overseeing the process declared them innocent. Both were forced to walk to their doom in chains. Both were placed in a tomb or pit with a stone covering its entrance from which they were both miraculously delivered alive. Both are together in heaven right now. And for Daniel, faith has become sight. Jesus is the true and greater Daniel. Always keep in mind. Praise God. So, next weekend we're going to talk about Be Real, chapter 2. Read ahead. Start reading through Daniel. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders and leaders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, love to pray with you. Uh, I've got oil up here, and I'd love to anoint you with oil if, if need be. We'd love to pray with you if you're struggling in any way. Um, if you have any questions, we'd love to answer those questions for you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, we love you. We worship you. May we together make this resolve, as Daniel resolved, firmly determined in his heart that he would not defile, pollute, desecrate, profane himself. Lord, we do that this morning. Help us to know our heart well enough to know those things that are competing for our heart's deepest loyalties and affections away from you. Help us to always remember that we have your favor and compassion, and out of that, may we speak the truth in love, building our identity on you with our actions speaking louder than our words, surrounded by our healthy church community. Help us to more and more live remarkable lives for you and your glory. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.